Hi there. Welcome to our podcast, Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project. My name is Michelle. And my name is Lauren, and we are your hosts. Hey, host. Hey, host. <laughs> this is our version of a radio talk show, and every week you can join us for a sisterly chat where we talk about literally everything. We're going to tackle current events, what's going on in the world around us. We'll share some personal insight and stories, and of course, share random bits of things we think you should know along with whatever else sisters talk about. There's a lot. So if you're into easy listening, lots of laughing and some inspiration sprinkled throughout, we are going to be fast, weird internet friends. Welcome. Hi there, and welcome to Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project. I am your host, Lauren Massarella, being joined by my sister and co-host, Miss Michelle Anderson. That's me. Right and, here. And that should be Mrs. That's because you're taken. You're taken. Michelle, I am taken. You guys, listen, before we dive into our conversation, please do us a solid and and follow us on Instagram at the Sister Proj with a J and at Cozy Convos with TSP. I need to do more work on that one. I get it, but please help build it up with us, okay? Now, if you did not know, May was Mental Health Awareness Month. And knowing this, we thought we would bring a friend on, that we a weird internet friend, yep. bring her on and have a talk about mental health, but not only mental health, but about what you put in your body plays a role in how that stuff upstairs operates. Yeah. So on today's Cozy Convo, we were joined by clinical psychologist and nutritional therapy practitioner, Nicole Barile. She's out of New York, Westchester, in fact. And she's lovely. She is lovely. Lee. Smart lady too. Mm -hmm. So here's the deal. We know that gut health affects brain health and that what we eat affects our mental health. So we decided to have an expert on to explain to us why that is and nerd out a little bit. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this super informative conversation with Nicole Barile. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, guys. I'm so happy to be here. We're thrilled to be talking with a, a real therapist. Yes. I like to have as <laughs> yeah. many of those close to me as possible. <laughs> so, Nicole, the first thing you know we wanted to do was like dive into who is Nicole. So we read your About Us, and you and I kind of have a similar uh, background with my endometriosis, and you have PCOS, and we both yeah. had to really fight a bit to get some answers. Yes. And I really loved how you dove even deeper into how diet can affect somebody's insides and mentally, of course, but also not only mental health, but with you, in your case, PCOS. And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that journey and how it came to you that food and brain and guts are so intertwined. Yeah, absolutely. So this was, um, I received that diagnosis probably almost like 10 years ago at this point. And at the time, um, I wasn't so worried because it was explained to me in the context of fertility and I didn't necessarily want to get pregnant at that time. So I was like, okay, I'll probably deal with this later. I was also told that I just needed to stay on birth control, um, and that I would likely need fertility treatments if I wanted to start a family. So, then flash forward to two or three years later, I had the longest streak where I didn't get my period. It was like nine months and I was starting to get really worried. Um, and I randomly, completely out of the blue, decided to do a 21 day 
diet elimination challenge. And I should preface this by saying that I was eating like garbage before this. Like I never cooked. I would always eat fast food. Pizza was like a staple of mine. Really? Yeah. I was like completely different to the way I view everything right now. Um, And so the 21 day challenge was so rough. The first like four days I was like, I'm going to die. This is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It was awful. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is how I'm going out. I'm going to stick to this challenge and this is it. I'm going back to pizza. <laughs> yeah. Nicole, can you, can you tell us what you were eliminating? Sure. So it's really a classic elimination diet where I eliminated no sugar, no alcohol, um, no processed foods, like it, no dairy, no gluten. Um, so it was like everything that I was eating, I was no mm-hmm. longer eating and consuming anymore. And so I had to learn. And I'm really very much like when I decide to do something, I'm very much like I'm doing it. So <laughs> I did not give up. I was like, whatever, I'm still going. So I learned in that whole 21 day process to cook for myself. Like I learned how to go grocery shopping and recipes. Like, yeah, I was very dedicated to the process because I was like, I really wanted to see what this would do for me. And then like a fairy tale, the 21st day, the end of the challenge, I got my period. That is, I literally got my period the last day of the challenge. After nine months of not having it. After nine months of not having it. And I was like completely blown away. First of all, I was completely unprepared, but I didn't care. I was so excited. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this has to mean something. Like this, this is the only variable that I changed in my life. I'm like, this has to be something there. The next day was Sunday. I spent like five hours on my computer researching diet and PCOS. And there was a ton of research that I found. And I was like, how did I not know about this? How is this not something that is talked about? Like, this is incredible. And then I just like went down a complete rabbit hole and I was like, okay, I need to get, I need to understand nutrition. I, I think this is really important. Um, so I, like three months later, I ended up getting certified as a nutritional therapist Wow. Um, and doing that, doing that whole year long program. Um, and I thought, I'm like, this is, it was just the beginning of a completely new world that opened up for me. And I just never looked back and I couldn't look back based on everything I experienced, the knowledge that I gained. I have a question. I I feel like there's going to be a lot of listeners tuning in who have, because when I was diagnosed with endometriosis, a lot of people came came to me and messaged me saying, I don't have endo, but I do have PCOS. So we, people kind of put them in the same bucket, although very different. What did you learn about the foods that weren't so good for PCOS? So a lot of processed foods, a lot of sugar is Mm -hmm. really what kind of can be very damaging to our hormonal health. So um, it's really more about focusing and which is the same as goes with physical health and mental health is really focusing on whole foods and trying Mm -hmm. to limit your processed foods and your sugar consumption, because there is this really interesting relationship between blood sugar and our hormonal health and also other aspects of our health, of course, too. But that was something that I uh, had read about in a lot of these clinical studies. Um, and that just kind of confirmed because really that's how I was eating at that point. So that really just confirmed like, okay, like this is, this is what I need to do for my own personal hormonal health. And I think, you know, women in general, like should know this knowledge because it's it get, you know, your menstrual cycle is a sign of health. It's not something mm-hmm. that was really talked about in that, from that perspective, but it, it is completely 
Absolutely. I'm reading a book called Awakening. Well, it's more of a reference book, Awakening Fertility. And it goes into how important it is to observe your period and know when it's coming, know the flow and yeah. kind of see the patterns and how your body and mind feel. But that's another conversation for another day. I think we really want to start diving into this correlation between food, what you put in your body, and the relationship with mental health. And we were wondering if we can nerd out a little bit and maybe in layman's terms and the easiest way you can tell two sisters have, who have no <laughs> background. Everyone's just a little mental. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I have no background in science. What can you tell us about, I mean, we've been learning so much about the brain and the food relationship. And now we'd like to, you know, it's a little bit of a different pathway about mental health, maybe anxiety, depression, and other things. What is the relationship between the two? Yeah, absolutely. So there happens to be a very strong relationship. So in prior to 2017, there was a lot of correlational data that suggested that there is probably this pattern between our dietary habits overall and our mental well-being. 2017 was the first randomized control trial, which basically it's it's considered the gold standard of treatment and allows for causation. It allows us to say this variable is indeed what caused something to happen. So mm -hmm. that was the first time um, food was used as a variable to see if that was directly causing the relationship for mental well-being. So what they did in that study, which I think is really important to highlight, is they had 67 um, participants, all with clinical depression and ranging from moderate to severe depression. And they split them into two groups. One of the groups was the food group. And they had, I think it was seven 60-minute nutrition consultations with a registered dietitian, teaching them how to implement and use the Mediterranean style diet. Mm. And the other group was more of a social support kind of group. And after 12 weeks, what they saw was that there was a really significant relationship between those people who were in the food group and who adhered most to the Mediterranean style diet and a, a significant decrease in their depression. So much so hmm. that 32% of the people in the food group no longer met criteria for clinical depression. Wow. No kidding. No longer That's was amazing. in remission. It's incredible. I mean, there's yeah. no other research. Like if you look at <sighs> pharmacological studies, you don't even, you don't even get close to something like that, mm -hmm. you know? So that to me, when I read, I was, that's just, it's so, incredible. Yeah. So we've talked about, and you, we the, now the, let's go ahead and just backtrack just for one moment. The reason why we came about and know you is because you too, you chat with our friends over at Neuro Reserve. Yes. And we had the founder, Ed Park, on the podcast to talk about the Mediterranean diet, but there might be some folks who didn't get to tune into that one. Can you maybe give a brief overview on what the Mediterranean diet looks like? For sure. So it's full of whole grains, whole grains consider like daily servings of whole grains, fresh food a couple times a week, um, some dairy, a little bit limited, a little bit limited. Did you just say meat. fresh? I'm sorry. Did you say yeah. fresh fruit a oh, couple see, of times? Uh, did I say seafood? Did I meant I, to say seafood? <laughs> yeah. Okay. See, because I was like, okay, what is it? Seafood, fresh seafood a couple yep. of times a week. Got okay. it. Yes. Um, plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables. So daily servings of that, some nuts and beans and legumes and lots and lots of olive oil. So we're talking a lot of fresh ingredients and mm -hmm. all of those ingredients are, are packed with when you really look at the nutrients that exist in those foods, like are really packed with the important brain nutrients that we all need. 
Now, with that being said, talking about the gut, because we've read a lot, you know, they'll say like the gut and the brain are connected. When it comes to the Mediterranean diet or just say a healthy everyday nutritional diet, is it the stuff that's going into your belly that's digesting and then works its way up to the brain? Is that how the food and brain connection behave with one another? That's kind of where I get really lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot to think about. So that that's one way. So one of okay. those ways, right, is we eat food, we di- hopefully digest it properly if everything's working correctly and then those nutrients get absorbed into our bloodstream and then the blood and then blood takes it everywhere and our brain is very very rich in blood vessels so it needs a large supply of nutrients in order to really do what it needs to do so that's one way in which that works another way in which that works is our gut bacteria so our gut bacteria are very important in terms of our overall health, but in terms of how it relates to our mental health and really our brain health in general, um, we want a decent diversity of gut microbiota. So that is sort of what the research is suggesting that looks like a healthy gut microbiome is a little bit more of a diversity. And our the really like the bacteria themselves, they do a number of things for us. So they help us digest our food. They also can produce certain vitamins for us when we eat the right foods that they really like. Mm. So they love fiber and Mm. that is really their preferred food. So when we consume fiber, um, some of the fiber, depending on what you eat, can get fermented in our colon. And as a, a result, they produce things like vitamin K or butyrate, which is an anti-inflammatory property. And that gets sent to different parts of our body. So that's another way that this happens. Yeah. So there's a lot of proposed mechanisms as to why the gut brain connection is so important for us. So those are, those are two couple ways in which it works. You, you wrote about, well, you just mentioned digestion and Michelle and I read that awesome article that you wrote in. And if you see me going back and forth, I'm reflecting the notes. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. You wrote in Mind Body Green, how stress gets in the way of digestion. And you offered three ways that people can sit prior to eating to help create optimal digestion. But I loved what you said in regards to I think it was, it's not what you you are, what you eat. You wrote, you are what you digest, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a little bit more of a sciencey, but more like rounded, full rounded answer or thought in regards to what we eat. Could we go over the three things or the three ways that you offer people to digest better before eating? And I have them here with me. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because I was going to ask you what to I got them. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay. We're on the it. first okay. one we talked about, the first one you um, offered was try belly breaths. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that one? Totally. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think people discount this really fast because it's like, you know, I suggest slow breathing and they're like, what? That that sounds like so simple. It's dumb, you know, but it's one of the most direct physiological ways that we can calm our system. So when we really take our time and activate diaphragmatic breathing. So we're mm-hmm. acti- activating our diaphragm instead of our chest. It completely slows our heart rate. And it says a signal really to our brain that we want to re- relax and relaxing and resting is the state that we need to be in, in order for I- our digestive system to work huh. optimally. We can't be stressed and digesting. It's, it's, it's in contrast to each other. 
Okay. And yeah. going off of that, does time of day when you eat matter by any chance? I'm curious about that because Michelle eats dinner yeah. at like five-ish. I'm more of like an eight o'clock, 8.30 dinner type of eater. Does mm-hmm. that play a role with mental and food? It's a good question. I think this is where everyone's a little bit different because okay. um, in some way, you know, like if we're talking about, I think sometimes it depends on what lens you want to look at this through. If you were, if you want to look at like, how do I optimize sleep? And let's say you want to get to bed at 10 o'clock, I would say, yeah, let's push your dinner to a little bit mm. earlier, like seven or six, because we also want to give time to digest and that can get in the way of optimizing our sleep. Ah. Um, but, and then there was also, there was a really cool study I read recently about, um, eating breakfast versus not eating breakfast. And for some people eating breakfast decreases the snacking and high caloric food intake throughout the day. And for other people, like I got someone who messaged me and was like, that doesn't work for me. I actually have experienced the opposite. So everyone's a little bit different when it comes to this. So I think you have to just be mindful and pay attention of what really works for you because that's ultimately what you have to do. Does that, does that sort of play into, is that intuitive eating? Is the timing a thing or is it more about like what you're eating and recognizing how you feel, how food makes you feel after you eat it? I think it's that I'm not, I haven't really like dug deep into the intuitive eating stuff, but I think it's, I think it's what you just promote. More like, yeah, like, oh, I just ate a McDonald's cheeseburger. My (laughs) intuition is telling me I feel like I've just been hit by a car. Exactly. You shouldn't eat that. Because it makes you feel like crap afterwards, right? Yes. It really does. I never feel that way when I have no sugar and no gluten or dairy. I always feel amazing. Okay. And we're going off the topic of the three, but you bring up a great point, Michelle. And Nicole, I wanted to Mm -hmm. ask you, do you think that like, you know, as a therapist as well, that we also have to give in to that cheeseburger or that large fry once in a while and just go yes. with it. Yes, a hundred percent. If there's <laughs> okay, there's yeah, no, you have to, like if there is more stress associated with deciding what to eat, then mm-hmm. and there's more and versus actually feeling pleasure and enjoyment Mm. and comfort from Mm. eating something else that's not super healthy, then go eat the thing that's not super healthy. Food is so unique, right? In the sense that it's not just fuel for our body. It's social, it's emotional, Mm -hmm. it's cultural. There's a whole other experience to food other than it being fuel for our bodies. So yeah, Mm -hmm. like you're going to compromise your stress more if you're stressing out over the potential of having a little piece of cake than just deciding, yeah. oh, I'm going to enjoy this. Eat that cake. Love that. It's one of mm-hmm. our mottos That's here. Right. Eat that cake. Yes. See, okay. So one of the second ones for the digestion was, and I love this one, is to chew consciously. And I find that that is such a good tool just to slow the yeah. F down. I think I swallow my, f- I'm a snake. Michelle basically yeah. opens her <laughs> mouth. <laughs> I'm a snake. <laughs> Or like one of those kimono dragons. I mean, that's, it's gone. That I need to work on the conscious chewing. I got a really good visual of that. One. <laughs> terrifying. I'm so sorry. So Nicole, how, sell this one on Michelle. Why should Michelle be less snake-like and slow yeah. down <laughs> when so, eating? I hear you because I can be snake-like too. Um, so I totally understand. <laughs> but part of the reason is because digestion really starts in our mouth. It's it's the first mechanical part of digestion. So you are doing yourself a favor when you're really chewing and you're taking your time. There's all these digestive enzymes that need to do its work besides the mechanical aspect of actually chewing. So that's really the first place 
where you can support your digestive process is mm. by slowing down, chewing your food, and just taking your time before you uh -huh. actually swallow. You got that, Michelle? Yeah. But you and I are going to, Lauren is going to check in with you after we're yeah. done here. We're gonna, Lauren and I are going to break bread and I am going to, <laughs> I'm going to work on the first stage of digestion. Yes. Yes. A little science experiment. Yeah. And then the third <laughs> the third one you offered, Nicole, which I think this one should just is should just be a general rule of thumb. And I'm yeah. gonna start implementing this is to just ditch the distractions. Mm -hmm. And I know you meant you and I think in the in the article you're like, God forbid I say put that phone away. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> what does ditching the distraction do for your mental health and eating? Or yeah. well, excuse me, digestion. So it, it allows you to just be present to the whole experience, right? And I think mm. it also allows the process of slowing down to happen. When we're doing something else, I think it's a lot easier. Like when we're watching TV, it's a lot easier to just shove Shovel food in our mouth and not pay attention to how much we're eating. Do we enjoy right. it? Are we still full? Right. So when we're just singularly paying attention to one thing, just the task in front of us, we become a lot more conscious of our entire experience. Are we satiated? Do we want more? Do we want less? Is this, you know, like, so all of that can be very clarifying, I think, in mm -hmm. that moment. Um, and I think that's why that's also really important to do. Okay. I think I'm going to implement that. No no phones at the table, which I think is just what it should be like. Anyways. Well, I mean, I, I did, we don't have a TV in our kitchen, you know, like we kind of kept it like that, but it, we, everybody has a TV in their pocket, you know, yes. and they carry them around. Isn't that the it truth? is such a pain. Well, it kind of goes along with yeah. what you were saying Michelle, or with Nicole, when you were saying like, you know, it's part of it's to enjoy the experience, but also to like bring it up one more level, ditching the distraction, whether it is if you're eating alone or maybe eating with a person or a family, you can either A, read a book or maybe be, I know it's still distracting, but maybe it's a little bit more of like a mindful yep. distraction. Yeah. Yes. But then you can also have freaking conversation with people yeah. and socialize and that's good for your mental yeah. health. Absolutely. Absolutely. In and of itself. So speaking of socializing and whatnot, Michelle and I and my husband, Anthony, just got off of a podcast talking about, we were we were talking about at one point, alcohol intake. Mm. And then Anthony and I were just chatting. He said, you know, don't forget to ask her, how badly does alcohol and caffeine affect your mental health? <laughs> so yes. can, we de can we dive into that rabbit hole and talk a little bit about the vices in life and what they actually do in the long term or even short term? Yeah, definitely. So here's the good news is- oh. That the Mediterranean diet supports a glass of red wine a day. And I've been, you guys, I've been trying to live by like this. Instead of like, I was telling Michelle, instead of like going overboard with five glasses of wine, a glass of wine, if I'm out socially, it might be a little bit more than that. Yes. But then water in between. That Mediterranean diet has given me like the yeah. go ahead to yeah. just have that glass of wine. Yeah. It's like that is that is your, that is the treat. That's my treat. The treat. Yes. And it's good for my brain. And you're doing yes. something. Okay. So that's the good news. Is there any that more good news good or does news. it just go to bad? Well, let's know. Let's also, there's good news with coffee. There is good okay. news. Oh, hell yes. Yes. So embrace this. This is, this is wonderful. So their coffee is very rich in polyphenols and polyphenols are plant compounds that have been shown to be really beneficial for our brain health. So mm. it's coffee is cool. It's okay. So it depends on how, so what do you put in your coffee? Right. Because yeah. that is what can make it, That's where it gets, a little mm -hmm. bit healthier, a little bit unhealthier. Yeah. So at its healthiest, would it just be black? So actually, um, I've read 
from what I've read, uh, dark roast has the most and probably because it has a higher polyphenol content. Okay. Um, so yeah, if you, if you like your coffee black, that's good. But I if do, you can also yeah. put like some almond milk in there, if that yeah. feels good, I do my oat milk. It. Yeah. you can do that. Absolutely. Okay. I'm just I thinking you had about, a question. I do. I'm just thinking about my coffee and I'm just thinking about, I'm just thinking about this thing that I drink every single day. You know, it's like everything in moderation, right? But a cup of coffee and then an afternoon delight, whatever. Yes. But then I take it a step further and I'm thinking like, where is my, I, I'm, I'm guessing the, did you say they were polyphenols that are mm-hmm. in the, the, the coffee beans? I just, I'm questioning the, the polyphenols in my uh, Keurig coffee cup over mm. like those ground up beans from the coffee sell- seller down yeah, the road. They might be different, sure. but they might, I mean, if anything, you're just ruining the, the, the planet a little bit with your Keurig pods. That's another issue. But maybe it's good for your brain though. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we try so hard to help one thing and then we're killing something else. I know. I'm thinking, I know. You know. I don't, right? We try so hard. I'm thinking maybe like the most purest form, maybe like a slow drip, not going through any machinery, mm. just some hot water poured over. It might be like your healthiest route. Yeah. And it tastes the best. I know. Yeah. But okay. Now what's the bad news? <laughs> so, do want, right, Lauren, so do you want to do your drum roll that you do? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. You're so welcome. <laughs> That's actually perfect. So, but, but yeah, it's true. So everything, yes, in moderation, excessive alcohol is no bueno for our brain, as I'm mm-hmm. sure you know. Um, yes. So, you know, but if you're staying, again, if you're staying in a relatively acceptable range, like it's okay. I think you also, I think this is really important. And I don't know if this is talked enough about, but our entire context needs to be taken into account. We just lived through a very difficult year Mm -hmm. and we can't be perfect with our diet all the time as much as maybe we would like to, even though that is obviously going to support our brain and mental health as much as possible. I think, you know what, if you end up having three glasses of wine one night, like it's okay. Again, because if you're if your stress associated yeah. with that is going to be greater, it's not going to be good for you. You know, I really appreciate, I appreciate that. that. I do too, because we, we all beat the crap oh out my of ourselves. Lord. And I think giving ourselves a little bit of permission yeah. to just let loose and whatnot. And this actually goes to the next segues perfectly, Nicole, because when we were on the telephone or our zoom call, we spoke about health anxiety, I think is how you put it. And it was when people might be going to the doctor to say, you know, I'm really worried about this part of my body. I found something or I feel something's got to be bad doc. And they're like, well, you're okay, but you might want to go talk to a different kind of doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, it's based, I mean, we, in our family, we come, called it come, hypochondri- yeah. hypochondria. Mm-hmm. Long line of them. <laughs> yep. That's fair. And I was, can we talk a little bit about this and maybe, you know, from your perspective and point of view, what is it like for people who maybe do go to one doctor and are saying, you know what, go see someone else. They come to you. What does that discussion look like? What are we talking about? Yes. Um, so at first it can be really, really challenging because the anxiety is real, right? It's not Mm. that their anxiety is false. Like that is really what's present for them. But what is false is their beliefs about their physical symptoms that are happening. So the first step really in this process is I always want someone to get medically checked out because those two things can coexist. You can have a medical issue 
um, and a medical challenge and also have health anxiety. So mm-hmm. I want to know from a medical perspective, are you okay? Like what's actually going on? So I have that information. And then if there is no medical issue present, um, or even if there is like, we have to look at what are your thoughts around your physical symptoms that are triggering for you, right? So let's mm-hmm. we could define sort of health anxiety is really this preoccupation with physical symptoms that are being interpreted as dangerous. And so mm-hmm. what's very common for people is now they'll go online and Google and they'll research all of these things. But obviously the problem with that is that you can easily get to death or a brain tumor. Oh God. Or yeah, dementia in our case. Oh God, no, yep. God, no. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And that's what you're focused on when you're anxious. You're not going to focus on the less bad things. You're going to focus yep. on the worst outcomes, right? Yeah. All so, logic goes out the window. I feel yeah, like. logic. Yes. And that that's the point of anxiety. You know, that is kind of anxiety's job. So um, that's very common. Also asking for reassurance. And that was, that is what doctor seeking is. It's asking for reassurance that this physical symptom is fine, that I don't have to worry, but mm-hmm. it's only short term relief that the person yeah. experiences. Is that because not... they're probably going to come up with another ailment somewhere and then they're going to be back at the doctor? Exactly. So yeah. it just mm. restarts itself when they when they experience another symptom or when they have another intrusive thought about, oh, mate, what was that? What was that? that that's weird. I got to look that up too. So it, mm-hmm. it just keeps going. Um, it just keeps going. So it can be an incredibly vicious cycle for wow. a lot of people and very disruptive to people's lives. And what when these when these individuals go to their doctor and then they come and see you, what kind of work is, has to be done with therapist and patient in regards to kind of breaking down this fear of you know terminal illness or chronic illness? And again, like you said, it might be there, and you might have to deal with that illness. But if there isn't one, then what? Mm-hmm. So it's a big ask. But basically, what I the first sort of couple steps is giving them a set of coping skills to deal with when they become anxious, instead of going to Google, instead of going and asking for a constant reassurance, it's giving them Mm -hmm. a set of coping skills to deal with what they're experiencing in the moment. The other part of that, which is really important is getting them to decrease their Googling, getting them to decrease their reassurance seeking, because you have to tolerate that anxiety and you have to learn how to do that. And that's part of the process of getting this better is really understanding like, how do I tolerate this? Because even if you don't do anything, right, even if when we're anxious and we're not researching something or we're not asking for reinsurance, time is on our side, right? In the sense Mm -hmm. that eventually there will be a decay and you will learn and see that you can, you can cope with this anxiety as it, as it comes and goes. Mm -hmm. Love this. And Mm -hmm. when people are coming in to talk with you about this, do you find that they, is everyone so different that therapy for this kind of health anxiety that we talked about is something that can help, that does help? I'm assuming it does help a patient be, become a little bit less likely to pick up the phone or pick up Google. Does it, it Does it take a weeks? Are we talking months? Or is everyone such a different kind of situation? Yeah, it can. Everyone that I'm thinking of that, you know, that I've I've worked with, like it's it's been different for everybody. It's very, it's a big ask to say mm-hmm. and explain. And I have to, you know, you have to provide education around this on why Googling only exacerbates anxiety, why asking for reassurance only exacerbates anxiety. So they have to understand that to begin with. But that's a big ask for me to say, we have to start decreasing that and we have to start pulling back because ultimately 
what that means is they're going to be anxious. So it could be weeks, it could be months. Mm. Um, so, but I will say this, like the biggest um, correlation that I see with progress is willingness. If, if a person is willing to go oh, through that. the experience of being anxious and it being very difficult, but going through the process of the things that can actually work for them, that's when I see like the fastest. Yes. Progress. You know, I, I, I think about myself as a patient and I'm a, I'm a good therapy patient. I go, I got, I've got my things I need to work on. We tackle those things. Sometimes it takes weeks, sometimes it takes months. And then I get to a place where I graduate from it for a little while because things are good, mm. you know, and the coping skills are back on track and we're working through the new things. And I know my friends and people that I love that have struggled. It's the, I know it's when they're not, they're not, applying the new tools and pushing themselves to walk through those processes to feel it, it doesn't, it takes longer. They get discouraged and give up and just. Well, it's like, because you're more, it sounds like what Nicole's saying, you're more willing to use these tools to find them and then, and then apply them to your life. Yes. And I totally get where this health anxiety comes from. Like, as you know, Nicole, our mom passed away from cancer and I've got other no, from dementia. I'm, so what did I say? Cancer? Yep. I'm, there we go. Oh, you I guys, think somebody's got it. something Uh-oh. on her mind. Don't Google. <laughs> don't Google. Well, that's the thing. I don't, I never Google. I'm not a Googler. Um, I would, <laughs> You're not a Googler? I'm not a Googler, not for illness stuff, because then I'll have, I'll for sure have like AIDS and dementia yeah. at some yeah. point. Like let's be yeah. honest, right? Yeah. But I'll talk about with my sister, but I understand exactly where it's coming from because having a mom who have died from dementia, we've and I've talked about this with a therapist in the past. If I couldn't remember a word or mm. if, you know, something slipped in my mind, yep. I'd have to like suck my thumb on yep. his couch and be like, Is it is that what I have? And you know, mm. he'd reassure me that people are forgetful, especially under stre- you know, stressful moments in life, yep. which I was under at the time. But also that I guess I look at it from another point of view that living a life of this like imminent fear that we're all going to get, that I am going to get sick and die one day, and it might be the worst version of being sick and dying is really a miserable way to exist. So it really, I found when I sought therapy for this very, very reason for health anxiety that, and you know, some of his things were too, he was so honest, but kind of maybe some people would find harsh about it. Mm. You know, he said, you know, if you do have this fear of one day, maybe you might develop can- um, dementia, although you might also get healed and said, you also might walk out and get hit by a bus later too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. But then he's like, then talk to your family about it. Talk about what your wants are later in your life. Make your plans for later in life. And I said, you know, I th- it's, it's grim, but at the same time, it's also kind of taking an active yeah. approach and thinking about it, if that makes sense. For I don't sure. know. I just felt like it was a good way. Of, I think that's good advice. Don't Right? Yeah, I yeah. thought so. Yeah. I mean, I walked out okay. I didn't get yeah. hit by that bus. Nope. Still yeah. here. <laughs> still here. And now we have a new friend that could also <laughs> yes. counsel us when we have our little outburst. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, going back to the food for a moment, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people struggle with the decision on what they're going to eat, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But I also find, as we all know, snacking, you know, opening your cabinet, looking around and grabbing, you know, maybe something that's kind of a carb carb or pretzel or chips. What would you suggest as an optimal snack for mental health, for gut health? What are we talking? Carrot sticks and hummus? 
Yeah, no, so this is a good question. This is a good question. So a few things come to mind. I think nuts are a great snack. They're also packed with lots of different nutrients. Um, nuts mm -hmm. are also very much a staple as part of the Mediterranean diet. So if you want to kind mm -hmm. of follow that, that's also, that's a great snack to grab. But it's also easy. You know, you mm -hmm. can bring that whenever, wherever you want to go. Um, I think also, yeah, I love hummus. I think, I think you, you also have to think about what you like too. And then maybe how do, how can I, how can I transform that into something that's both tasty and both a little bit more nutrient dense for me? Mm -hmm. So if you like hummus, but like, you're not a big fan of carrots, I would say like, just do whatever vegetable you actually end up eating or you actually end up yeah. liking. Right. Um, so I think there, there always has to be that consideration of, because you can make the healthiest thing, but if you, it doesn't taste good to you. If you don't like it, just, you're not going to eat it. Let's face mm -hmm. it. Right. So, um, I would say nuts, nut butters. I think those are great. Um, I think granola can be a great snack also, or yogurt could be a great snack too, for a lot of people fruit, I think, and pairing that with some nut just so that also yeah, helps with blood sugar mm -hmm. as well. Um, so I think those are really good, easy snack ideas for a lot of people. I, I read, and I'm not sure if I saw it on one of your Instagram posts or on your blog, um, but you had shared, I think it was your sort of own personal, the, the foods that you check off your list of foods yeah. that you try to eat every single day. But that is a hundred percent a part of my day. I actually, for myself, what works for me personally is when I load my breakfast up with vegetables um, and eggs and all the things like that for me solidifies like I'm starting my day off in a way yes. that's going to keep me full and satiated and my brain happy. So um, leafy greens are definitely one of them. I try also try to have some berries um, as also a, a staple in my diet as well. Um, eggs also because I love them, but they're filled with I love them too. nutrients that you mm -hmm. need um, and olive oil. So and those are those are I would say like an everyday where are my, where are those foods? Um, those are things that I'm really, really paying attention to. And okay. then beautiful coffee also just because it's, it's habitual, but also it has benefits. So that's something that I want to be mindful of too. Um, and occasionally, um, I would say the other thing that I do pay attention is fish. My fish consumption, um, during the week is something I definitely try to be mindful of and pay attention to. Like you're talking about, like you said previously, a, a couple times a week mm -hmm. is, yeah, your so, game, is your aim. Yeah. So that's kind of what you need if we're sort of a kind of following a more Mediterranean style, but also if we're really looking at this from the lens of mental health and brain health is you just need okay. a couple times a week that would support, okay. I would support that. Mm -hmm. And then Nicole, one last question before we start wrapping things up, I wanted to ask what is your thoughts or do you have suggestions on probiotics? And I know there's prebiotics too, but is there, yeah. do we take either one or both of those? Should we be taking those every day? It's a good question. Um, I know so, nothing about this stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting and good research on probiotics. I, I'm more of the food first model if you can try to do it that way. So if you can incorporate probiotic foods into your diet, things like sauerkraut or kimchi or yogurt or sourdough bread, stuff like that, um, that also, the food also has a host of other nutrients that you're going to get that mm -hmm. you're not necessarily going to get in supplement form if you're taking, you know, a, a probiotic via supplement. So I think food first, if you could think of it from that perspective, um, and if you just have a little bit every day, that would support 
your health in a, in, in a really substantial way. So a long, a little bit goes a long way when it comes to okay. probiotics. Okay. Yeah. Do pickles count? For sure. Yes. Okay, good. They that's, do? That's where yes. I would be getting my... Oh my God. I eat a shitload of pickles. You're good. <laughs> oh, what kind of pickles do you guys like? I'm a pickle person. I like bread and butter. Ooh. I do not like bread and butter. I like like a garlicky. I also like a spicy pickle. Oh, mm-hmm. you're in luck. Trader Joe's, you guys, has a brand new, and I brought them. I wanted to try them. I've oh, had them. yes. Really? They're a spicy. They're a kosher dill. Oh. They're supposed to be meant to be very spicy. Nicole, what's your favorite wow. kind of pickle? I, I mean, I, I love a dill pickle. So half of yeah. me is is Jewish, which means like I need pickles in my life most of the time. Now, do, so do you like them as a spear or as a whole? <laughs> Oh, okay. Listen, because in the spear, you get to take out the seeds first. I like to like no. eat the seeds like a watermelon, you know. What oh, the you hell? Do that. Oh, I like take <sighs> the seeds out first and then I crunch on. I eat the seeds. You have a process. Just, it's, it's a yeah. process. I need to be, con- I, I love the sour. I do not, I don't want to eat bread. I don't love bread. I feel I like shit after bread. I eat crappy sandwich bread that my kids have, but sourdough needs to be implemented on the regular. It's so I think. damn I good. I love it. It's so good. It is so good. So good. Can you tell where it's getting towards lunch and everybody? I know. You know now we're all talking Everyone's about Everyone's getting hungry. So my, our last and final question for you, Nicole, as you know, May was World um, Mental Health Month, all of May. Yeah. And this podcast is coming out on the last day of May. And for listeners out there that might be like a little reluctant or they're kind of thinking, it's time that I go see a therapist and, you know, talk it out. For those of them who are just about to pick up the phone but not quite there yet, do you have any advice or inspiration for them to just freaking do it? I love that If they need it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I would love to try to demystify therapy for a second. Mm, So I think therapy... It has been sort of um, talked about in the sense of if you have a mental illness, this is something that you need to do versus there's a lot of things that therapy can do that are completely outside of treating mental illness. Um, And in a lot of ways, I think even if you're not, even if it's not a particularly stressful time in your life, if there's things that you want to explore about yourself, if you're just feeling a little bit lost, or if you're feeling a little bit confused about what's the next step in my life, where do I need to go? Um, mm. But that's also a really great reason to seek therapy. Therapy, you could see therapy is just something that's an additional perspective. It's, it's a tool to help you achieve really the goals that you want to achieve in your life. And that doesn't have to be because you have an anxiety disorder. It doesn't have to mean that at all. So if, you know, therapy can be multifaceted and it doesn't have to be something that is exclusive to you having a disorder or an illness. I love that. That was our, that's going to be our soundbite. That is our soundbite. Well done. Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time out. This was a true freaking pleasure. Yes. You You are a delight to sit with. So fun to connect with you. I know. Yes. I just want to so start for, a podcast so I could have you guys on here. You should oh. start a podcast <laughs> and do it. Do all of the talk about all the things we just talked about and just do. I I would a hundred percent be tuning in. I think what you talk about and the relationship with food. You know, growing up, we were taught that stupid pyramid. Remember that? Oh, Remember yeah. that thing? Yeah. yeah, it's the grossest thing ever. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that was garbage. Here, ha- eat off of the pyramid. You <laughs> lactose intolerant, gluten right? intolerant, poor child. What the hell? Mom is farting <laughs> twenty seven thousand <laughs> times a day. Normal. Right. Oh, it is. All right. Cool. Yeah. 
It's ridiculous. With that being said, please do, yeah, feed your mental podcast. But until then, until you start your podcast, for those of you who are listening in, you can find Nicole Barile and all of her amazing tips and thoughts on how you can optimize your mental health based on the food and the fuel you put into your belly. Check out her website, feedyourmental.com. And also her Instagram handle at Feed Your Mental. We will put everything in the show notes. Start following her. Start feeding your body and brain with all the good stuff. And as always, Michelle, go ahead and close it out. Stay cozy. Thank you for joining us for today's cozy conversation. For more of The Sister Project, check us out on Instagram at The Sister Project and our website, www.thesisterprojectblog.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and maybe even drop us a review. Until next time, stay cozy.